um, this morning, we're going to look in the letter of James. The letter of James is, this is my fallback. I was talking to Amanda. Amanda always tells me um, if I've preached this message before. She told me one time, she said, I preached Psalm 51. And she said, you know, you preached this before. I was like, yeah, I know, Amanda. You know, try not to remind everybody. Uh, that was in a different context. This was this was on a Wednesday night and then on a Sunday morning. And she said, yeah, well, we'll see if you do it better justice this time. So thanks for your encouragement and always uh, keeping me on my toes for sure. Um, look, this morning's a simple message. Um, we're going to talk this morning what I love about James. I'm, I'm the type of person that I'm not a real beat around the bush kind of guy. If you want me to catch the drift, you better not go the long way around. You better just tell me straight up or I'm going to miss it. What I love about the letter of James is this is what he does. He is to the point, he's straight to the fact, and he doesn't beat around the bush to get to his point. And he shows us many different ways of what it looks like for us and encourages us to walk as believers, to really do that. So our, our title this morning for our message is to walk the walk. And this is a a simple message. This is something that we talk about all the time, that if we're, if we claim to be Christ followers, then our life should look like it, right? It's easy to receive that message, but for us to actually put that into action, that poses as a different challenge for us. So what I want us to do, what I want us to do this morning, we're specifically going to be looking at two different sets of scripture in the letter of James. The first one's going to be James 1, 22 through 25, and then the second one is going to be James chapter 2, 14 through 17. Um, just two points this morning. I always say this. I think that we'll get out of here earlier than we normally do. I said that the last time I preached and preached for 50 minutes. So for your sake, hopefully that doesn't happen. But I am excited for us to jump into, I'm excited for us to jump into the word. Uh, you've heard this phrase before, to walk the walk. You maybe have heard this phrase that, oh, that dude, he's all bark, but he's no bite. Well, when you think about these phrases, it kind of makes me think about what James is going to be talking about as we look into his letter this morning. When we, as Christ followers, we, we can't be the person that's all bark and no bite. If we wear the name tag as Christ follower, then it just makes sense that our lives should look like it. The knowledge of God has to produce life change. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in James 1, 22 through 25, what we see here in our first point is hearing the word must produce action. It must equal doing the word. Our first point this morning is hearing equals doing. James 1, verse 22 through 25. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If we were to look back in verses 19 through 21, we see James addresses these people that he's writing to, and he instructs them to be hearers of the word. Then we see in verse 22 that James goes on to say that it's not enough to just 
hear God's word, but we must also do God's word. Don't just hear the command, what he talks about in, in verses 19 through 21. He's talking about being quick to hear and slow to speak. And what he's saying, he says, don't hear that. Don't hear the message, the truth of that, but actually put that into practice. Actually do that. Practice being quick to hear and slow to speak. Something that my parents told me all the time as I was growing up in, in their home is, boy, you let one thing go in one ear and out the other, right? And I would tell them, I was like, no, I heard you. And they're like, no, you didn't hear me. What they meant by hearing them was to actually hear them and then to do it. And oftentimes that's the same with us in our walk with the Lord, right? It's we allow these things to go into one ear and we allow them to go out the other. Our desire as followers of Christ is to grow in godliness and to grow in our relationship for him. For that to happen, we have to understand that the only proper response of hearing the truth of God's word is that we would actually act on it, is that we would actually do and respond in obedience. If we're going to be intentional to be Christ followers, if we're going to be intentional to hear his word and to grow in him, then it makes sense that we have to do his word. Well, if we don't know anything about what he says in his word, then how can we be people of obedience? If we don't pick up his word and understand what the truth of his scripture says, then how can we be doers of the word? Our point this morning is to examine and look, like, and look at what it means for us to walk the walk as Christ followers. He continues in verses 23 and 24. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. Something I love about the letter of James is the way that he illustrates the point he's trying to make. For me, the, the way I am as a learner, it helps for me to have clear illustrations of what somebody's talking about. And James gives us a good one, right? He kind of gives us a, something that makes sense, right? He says, for if someone looks into a mirror intently at his natural face in the mirror and then he forgets what he looked like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? He's preaching to these people not only to be hearers of the word, but also doers. This is one of those things that there's no choice, right? There's no choice between you can't have one and have the other. I think of it kind of like a fishing pole, right? If you're going to have a fishing pole and be productive with it, you're going to have to have some line in it, right? Those things can't function apart from each other. They work hand in hand. He says in verse 9, in verse 25, I'm sorry, he says, talking about this illustration of someone who, in, who looks intently at the mirror, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I think of this illustration like this, and excuse me being graphic at, graphic in this point. If you wake up in the morning and you go and look in the mirror, which I hope that most of you do, I, I don't know if some of you do, but go and look in the mirror before you go somewhere, right? Before you go to work, and I hope that you go and look in the mirror and say, hey man, I need to fix my hair, right? What would you do if you woke up in the morning and you walked in the mirror and you was like, dude, I got a huge booger. We got to get rid of this thing, right? How absurd would it be if you were just like, ah, you just left. You just went on about your day, right? That would be dumb. 
That would be stupid for you to do. And I, look, I get that that's a very silly and childish illustration, but if we think about that in terms of our relationship with God and what it and with God and what it means to be hearers of the word and not just doers of the word and not just hearers only, is that if we look into the mirror of the truth of Scripture, we see our imperfections. We see that we never measure up. Praise God for his son Jesus that we didn't have to, right? That's the hope in this passage. But when we look into the mirror of the truth of Scripture, it must require a response from us. Just like the silly illustration that I just gave you, if you look in the mirror and you notice that, hey, I need to fix my hair, I need to clean myself up before I go out, and you just don't do it, that's on you, right? It's dumb that you would do that. Well, it's the same, guys, in our relationship with the Lord. If we truly know, if we truly seek to grow in godliness and be people of the faith, to truly live as little Christ, then we must look at the mirror of Scripture. And when we do that, it does reveal things about us, right? But the beauty of the Bible in its entirety is that it doesn't leave us there in our imperfections. God gives us a way that we're able to war against those things. So in light of walking the walk and being doers and not just hearers only, as we measure our lives to the standard of Scripture, it requires us to change. So if we're going to be intentional to do that, then we must look deeply into Scripture, the truth of it, and our reaction from that, should that we not just hear the Word, but also do the Word. The reality of looking into the mirror of God's Word is that we're always going to see that we have sin in our life. When we examine ourselves in the mirror of God's word, our response should always to be to do something about it, whatever that is. If for you it's to understand what James is saying in verses 19 through 21 in chapter 1, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. I know my wife's thinking, buddy, that's you. You need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If we read these things and we don't measure ourselves to the standard of the truth of Scripture, then what do we do in reading Scripture? The truth of Scripture reveals where we fall short, but the hope that we have in that is that God provides a way out. Our dependence on Him is how we war against those things and how we measure up as we look into the mirror of Scripture. Point something out here in verse 25. It says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What we see here is that it benefits us to be obedient to the truth of Scripture. I love what we see here. For those that look into the perfect law, this being Jesus Christ, he is the perfect law, and follow his ways will be blessed. When you look at verse 25, you have to point back to the Old Testament. It talks about the law. What is the perfect law? Why is James intentional to call this the perfect law in referring to Jesus? Because if you look back at the Old Testament, we think about the law, right? We think about the Ten Commandments. And if we look at the Ten Commandments and we compare our lives to the Ten Commandments, can anybody in here say that we can live up to that standard? No. No, we can't, right? That law was not a law of liberty. That law was not a law of freedom. Fast forward through the Old Testament prophecies, we now see Jesus arrive on the scene to see these prophecies fulfilled. So he is the perfect law. That's why we can rejoice in having a relationship with Christ because we don't have to measure up to those standards. God expects us to be obedient to him, but he doesn't expect us to be perfect. 
That's not a license to just do as we please, but it's a license to accept the grace when you do mess up. And when you do fail to hear the word and then react on that and do the word. Because that's every one of us, right? We should rejoice in the fact that our relationship is in the perfect law, that being Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came and fulfilled the law, we can rest in the freedom that we have in his children. Of course, we're going to fail. We're going to fail, but perseverance doesn't mean perfection. That's not what God means when he encourages, to, encourages us to persevere. We've been walking through Hebrews, right? That's been a main theme in the book of Hebrews is to stick with it. Stay true to the faith. It's tough, but persevere. Perseverance doesn't mean perfection. It means striving after something that no matter the difficulty or delay, you continue to press on. Not too long ago, I preached out of Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. And in Luke 14, 25 through 33, it talks about what it cost us to follow Jesus. And Luke, the author that's writing that, he gives a couple of illustrations. He gives two illustrations. One, he's talking about a builder who sets out, makes a plan to go build something, but he doesn't plan it out well, right? He doesn't account for all the things that he needs. He starts to build this thing that he's going to build, and then he looks foolish because he can't complete it, because he didn't count the cost of what it meant. Persevering in our relationship with Christ means that we count the cost, understand that it is going to cost us something, but yet we say we're going to stick with it anyway. Many of you may be thinking, you may be thinking about ways that you have been tested in your life. The first time I preached this message, I, I preached this to a couple of students at um, a church in Border Springs for a camp that they were having one summer. I think that this was the past summer. And what I did during this time is I, I pointed out the adults in the room, people that have been loving Jesus for a long time. There's plenty of those people in here, right? For those of us, me included, who haven't been loving Jesus for a long time, I bet I could ask you what it's like loving Jesus. And I bet you would tell me it's tough. But I can promise you that it's worth it. Guys, for us to not only hear the word, but do the word, we have to understand that loving Jesus comes with a challenge. It comes with a cost. And each day that we live and walk in our relationship with Christ, we have to count that cost. We have to hear his word and we have to decide, am I going to be obedient to his word? It's a challenge. Loving Jesus isn't easy, but it is worth it. Walking the walk, it doesn't mean that we're going to do that perfectly. We all fail. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. That's why he sent Jesus to die on our place as the perfect sacrifice. You may be wondering, you know, how do I do that? Many people in here have been loving Jesus for a long time. But the ebb and flow of the Christian life leaves us sometimes in places where we almost seems like we forget how to love Jesus and how we, we forget to walk closely with him. I, Landry and I have been in Fett, Alabama. Maybe some of you know where that's at. We've been in Fett, Alabama this weekend. I had the opportunity to uh, preach a D-Now, and their theme was the pause. And the whole gist behind this message, the whole gist behind the pause was for us in our overcommitted and oftentimes self-inflicted overcommitment in our lives, oftentimes we fail to just rest. 
We fail to just relax in our lives, right? We fail to press pause. And if you, you think of what it means to press pause, I think of a movie. And, and when we press pause on something, it's normally so that we can go and do something else. So we stop this action for a moment so that we can go and do, some, we can go and do something else. It's the same with our relationship with Christ. If we're going to be hearers, not hearers only, but doers, then sometimes we have to pause in our life and we have to invest in our relationship with the Lord and we have to get back to the basics of what it means to walk the walk, to follow closely to being a Christ follower. And you may be asking yourself those questions right now. How do, you, how do we do that? We do that by making God the center. We have to make God the center of, of our existence on this earth. Making the word of God the standard that you live by, not the world. Not what you see on the internet. Not what everybody else is doing around you. That's not our standards. If we claim to be Christ followers, then this right here is our standard. How do we know our standard if we're not intentional to read it? How can we appreciate the character of the God that we serve if we don't know anything about it because we don't spend any time in here. I don't know if it's the same for you as it is for me, but as I preach this to you, I'm convicted of that. Because I fail at that. Because I am the king at self-inflicted overcommitment. Gosh, I am learning trial by fire, really, of the things that I should say yes to. Many things are good, right? But not all of those things. I don't, have, I don't have the time and the commitment ability to be able to commit to all of these things. So for me, it's to practice what I say yes to and to pause and look at this self-inflicted overcommitment and say, hey, it's time for me to rest. To, if I'm going to claim to love Jesus, then I need to know why I do that. And the way that we do that is being students of God's word. And what it looks like for us is not to just hear it, like this week, not to just hear what we've talked about this morning, but to dig into it, to refine what it looks like for us to be people who exercise our faith in action. And the only way that we're able to do that is if we, if we are digging into the truth of God's Word. James gives us another great example of what it looks like for us to walk the walk. Our second point this morning is going to be faith equals action. It's going to be James chapter 2, 14 through 17. You may not even have to turn a page. James 2, 14 through 17. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
James asks a rhetorical question in verse 17, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Right? He says, can that faith save him? This is a rhetorical question that these people that he would have been writing to, he knows. And what he's getting at here is the question that he's asking them, is it actually true faith if there is no action behind that faith that you claim? Guys, many claim to have faith. Many claim to know Jesus, but in many there's no actual evidence of Christ living in their life or them living for Christ. And guys, that's, as genuine believers, that's us sometimes, right? We fail to do that. And we've already talked about that. That is the ebb and flow of the Christian life that we live. There's going to be times where we are more faithful and committed and other times where we're, we've fallen in that. But many claim to have a faith in Christ, but in many there's no actual living evidence of that in their life. And what James wants us to see here is that these two, again, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. If you truly, and what he's, he's not saying here that you're saved by works. What he's saying here is that if you love me and you truly have a relationship with me, you're going to live for my name's sake. In Ephesians 2, in verse 8, this, this scripture, these couple of verses have, have offered confusion for people sometimes. And it, it looks that it says that James is saying that, hey, you are saved by your works. But if we use in, it, scripture to interpret scripture, then we can look in Ephesians 2 and verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is your, not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It continues in verse 9 to say, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. If we go back to our title, our theme for this morning's message, to walk the walk, we can look at James's teaching and very clearly see that for those of us who are Christ followers, like I said, it's a simple message. Our lives should look like it. The Christian life is more than just what we tell people. It's more than what we do on Sunday morning. It's more than what we do on Wednesday nights. It's more than that. It's more than how we act and what we put on Facebook, but it's a lifestyle that should affect every single facet of our being and how we function. This is a message that's much easier preached than it is done. Verses 15 and 16. He says, if a brother, again, James is giving an illustration to drive home the teaching point. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and you don't give them the things that they need, what good is that? It makes no sense, right? James continues here in verse, verses 15 and 16. He gives us this illustration to drive home the point. Imagine this being you. Imagine if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, I'm in need of some clothes. I'm in need of some food. And look, I get it. People, people do this a lot. And you know that you can sometimes discern that, hey, they, they, don't, they don't need these things. They're going to use this for other things. But just imagine yourself in a scenario where you can really tell and discern that somebody needs something. You can visibly tell that they're in need. And you have the ability to give them what they need, to provide for them. How foolish do you think it would be if you would say, hey, you know what? I see you need something. And I'm going to pray for you. 
I'm going to pray that you find what you need. It doesn't make sense, right? If we're able to provide whatever that need is, it would be foolish for us not to do that. Again, you may have faith in this scenario that, hey, God's going to provide for you. But if you're able to be the agent of that providing, then be that. This is the picture, this is the illustration that James is painting when he says our faith is not just faith alone, but it must equal action. These are two things that go together. James uses this illustration to show these people and us reading it this morning that faith goes hand in hand with action. For those of us who are Christ followers, one should be able to look at our lives They should be able to look at our actions, the things that we say, the way that we function in our everyday life and tell that we love Jesus. When I was in high school, I think I was in the 11th or the 12th grade, on our baseball team, we did this team building exercise. And our coach sat us down in a chair in front of everybody and he, he asked, what do you want to be remembered for? And I remember hearing all of these things and people would say I want to be remembered for being nice to people I want to be remembered for one kid said to be the best catcher to ever come through South Lamar and he arguably may have been but I was thinking about how I was going to answer this question and I'll be honest with you I was challenged because I know what I want to be remembered for at this point in my life, in the, as a senior in high school, just in the 11th grade, I decided that I was going to take my faith seriously. I was going to stop wearing the name tag on Sundays and Wednesdays and the occasional church camp that I went to, but I was actually going to be real about it. And it cost me something. And I was thinking about how I was going to answer this question. I was conflicted with, am I going to accept the cost of answering this question and people thinking, oh gosh, here we go. Goody two-shoes, he's better than everybody else. Or is my heart genuine in saying that I want to be remembered for loving Jesus? I answered the question that way. And I can promise you that you can ask any of my, the people that I played ball with, the people that I went to school with, I didn't do that perfectly. But they did know that I love Jesus. I'm in the same situation today. I work a bivocational job that is the furthest thing from encouraging to my walk with the Lord. And it's a challenge every day. Most people in here are blue collar. I get it. I know I'm young, but I've worked in blue collar for a short time in my life, maybe 10 years. But I understand what you guys go through. And it's a challenge each day. And I want to ask you the same question. Would those people say, without a doubt, he loves Jesus? It's a challenge that comes we see what James is saying to us. He says, if we claim this faith, then our lives must look like it. Verse 17, he says, so also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. James ends in verse 17 to say that faith without action is useless. James's point that he's making in these two sets of scripture that we've looked at this morning is that Christ's followers are called to be obedient to God's word and the truth of his scripture. We're called to be set apart. This means that we're more than just hearers of the word, but we actually put it into practice. His point remains the same in the second set of scripture that we've looked at. The point is that genuine faith in a follower of Christ, it will produce 
action. This morning as we as we wrap up, I want to walk through a couple of applicational points that we can have that's tangible for us to leave with. For what does it look like for us to not only be hearers, but to be doers of the word? What does it look like for us to exercise our faith in action? I want to talk about that for a moment. As we come to as we come to the end of end of this message, we know that if we're going to do that, then we have to place God at the center of our lives. You may be asking, what does it look like for me to walk the walk? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. How do we go from here? Maybe that's what you're asking. What is my next step? You may be even be asking, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Christ. I don't even know if I have faith in you to put action to that. In an attempt to help you answer some of these questions, what we're going to do now is we're going to move into a time of application and we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to walk the walk. What does it look like for us to walk the walk, walk the walk? Well, first and foremost is to put into practice what you learn from the truth of God's Word. If you don't know and study the truth of God's Word, how will we ever be able to practice the truth of God's Word? A point of application, be students of the Word. It has to be more than what you hear and what you say, but it has to be what you do. It means that we have to dig in to God's Word. And you may be thinking, gosh, it's hard for me to read the Bible. I open the Bible and it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I get it. It's tough. The church for years, in my opinion, has failed to teach how to read the Bible. How to truly read the Bible for what it's worth. You may be 65 in this room and you say, hey, I still struggle with that. Do not, do not let your pride get in the way of you asking somebody, talking to somebody and being like, look, Pastor Caleb, Pastor Chris, I, I'll be honest, I struggle when I, open my, when I open my Bible to understand how to properly read through it so that I can understand, one, first and foremost, first and foremost how beautiful of God we serve. And then how that applies to my life. Maybe for you this week, if you're actually going to apply putting your faith into action, maybe it's to set an attainable goal. We've heard Caleb talk about this a lot, right? Be realistic. Maybe for you it's four out of the seven days, three out of the seven days this week, you're going to commit. Before you go to work, you're going to commit to five minutes where you're reading God's Word. You're going to commit to one chapter. You're going to commit to, I'm going to pray for two minutes. Five out of these seven days, three out of these seven days. Be realistic in your goal, but leave with something tangible, right? It, it, it gives, it does no benefit to you if we talk about this and we don't have a solution. We don't have a, hey, this is what we're going to do this week. This is how I can step into this. This is how I can practice my faith in action. A point of application in walking the walk is to seek discipleship. Find someone who is mature, more mature in their faith, and do life with them. They've walked more in their relationship with Christ than you have. They can speak to where you're at in your life. Discipleship changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. When I was 17 years old, Caleb came to Spring Hill and he was preaching, and he kept, he really kept hitting on discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And I was like, dude, yeah, like, I've heard this word before. But the way that he was preaching about it, I was like, I didn't, I didn't understand. No one has ever talked to me about discipleship that's going past RAs and discipleship training, if it's really discipleship training, on Sunday nights. 
but doing life with people, asking questions about what does this mean? What does this mean in the Bible? And I'm forever will be thankful for Caleb's relationship to me because he discipled me. He showed me what it meant to read the Bible and how to do that. But you know what it takes? It takes action. It takes you coming to a point where you say, hey, I do need help. I'm not supposed to do this by myself. He didn't just come to me. I went to him and I sought that out. So for you, maybe it's to seek that out, right? Maybe it's for you to step up in your home to lead your family to be a family that is intentional to be disciplined to be at church on Sundays that they see that mom and dad take this stuff serious if they don't see you take it serious you can never you do not have the right to be upset with them for not taking it serious you are their biggest influence in life I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home where I would fight with my dad on Sunday mornings because I did not want to go to church. But he said, you're going to go. You don't have a choice. I'm thankful for that. I saw that my mom and dad took that serious and that has influenced my relationship with Christ. Maybe for you as a Christ follower, your application this morning is to just take your relationship with Christ serious. Maybe that's something that you struggled with Maybe that's something that you hadn't really just stepped into. This message that I bring to you this morning that the Lord has brought to us, this is not one of discouragement, right? We have hope when we fail. God's grace is sufficient for us. That doesn't, that doesn't give us a license to continue to be disobedient to him. But it does mean that we can accept that grace when we do make mistakes. Maybe for you it's to... Just be serious about following Jesus. And however the Lord's prompting you this morning, I want you to think about that. You may, you may be in the position where you say, am I even a follower of Christ? Maybe for you, for the first time, it's time to look into the mirror of the truth of God's word and see that sin separates you from him. And the only way that you can live in eternity with him is to accept him as your savior. He's provided a way. There's no prerequisite. There's no bad enough bad that you have done that God can't save you. We talked about that last week. Don't run from that. For you, if that's, the, if that's where you're at in this application, then I don't want you to put that off. I want you to do business with the Lord and as we close, I want to give you an encouragement this week. As we close, so we've talked about what it means to put our faith into action. I want you to think about the ways that we've talked about. And I want you to commit to be disciplined in some type of way this week to put your faith in action. Know that God's grace is there when you fall. But be intentional to not just wear the name tag of Christ follower, but to actually live that out. So people say that you surround yourself with, yeah, he loves Jesus. She loves Jesus, without a doubt.